learning how to help someone tell their story is step one into having your audience, your donors, new volunteers understand why it is your organization does what it does. Welcome to this very special podcasting for nonprofits webinar slash Facebook Live slash episode of Mental Health Download. We're so excited that you are here with us. So today I'm honored to be joined by fellow podcaster Jesse Ulrich. Jesse, welcome to this very special event. And you are the co-host of Pod for Good and the CEO of the podcast production company Rant 9 Productions. And then Jesse and I asked our friend Daniel Billingsley of the Oklahoma Center for Nonprofits to join us to really explain the importance of storytelling for nonprofits, especially now during the time of COVID-19, you know, and the protests related to the tragic deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. And then Mickey Desai, so glad that you're here, buddy. Mickey is from Atlanta, Georgia, and he is a veteran podcast producer. He actually produces three podcasts. Nonprofit Snapcast, which is a podcast for all nonprofit professionals and board members. And then his next one is The Thing About Cars, and that's a podcast about cars and the people who love them. And then three is Inclusion Catalyst, a production about social justice and racial equity, which is fantastic and so timely right now. All right. So welcome, gentlemen. So the mission today is to explain why and how more nonprofits can launch their own podcasts. And we're, you know, we're going to be real transparent. There's going to be some pros and some cons. I know Mickey, we had a conversation earlier. Mickey's going to have some really cautionary advice. Let's start with the first question, and that'll be for Daniel. Daniel, can you explain why you would encourage nonprofits in Oklahoma and really across the country to launch a podcast of their own? You know, there's our traditional audio podcasting. You know, now we have Zoom. We've got all of these ways to communicate. I got to say that just since March, when kind of the pandemic hit, we are an association of nonprofits for a state, and there are 38 of us around the country. And we needed a way to communicate with a lot of different people at one time. And it had to be a way to communicate that wasn't just email, because email doesn't get read as often. We couldn't obviously convene people together, so we had to find a technological solution to do it. So, you know, obviously we jumped on the Zoom train and it's changed everything about how we do business. We're an organization that does professional development training and consulting for nonprofits to to help them be better. But what we found is you don't always have to have all these people in one room to do it. Uh, You have a much bigger audience when you have technology available to it. So whether it's audio or video, this idea of having a communication device Uh, that can reach a lot of people with fresh content and it's casual. That's the great part about it. It's not like we have to find a professional crew. I mean, literally we're, you know, even if you look at some of the SNL episodes from the last few months, you know, it was people at home doing their thing. And so it created a system for nonprofits to start communicating in a whole different way. What I'm going to say is we need to be doing this, more often because this is not about promotion. I think if you're if you're thinking about your communications and it's going to be about promotion, that's not going to work. That's not what we're we're talking about here. But when we're talking about education and particularly education as it relates to advocacy, this is the perfect way to get all kinds of messages out. And I will say we hosted a network call every single week for our nonprofits. And we have anywhere from 150 to 
200 organizations on that call. And last week, we dove right into how nonprofits are going to work to eliminate racism. And, you know, when we're talking about issues right now of nonprofit advocacy, you know, advocating for our missions, advocating for the people we serve, we're going to have to have some really hard conversations. And the way to do that is going to be through podcasting. Nice. All right, Jesse, what are your thoughts on this? So, uh, you know, my background is in nonprofit work. And the thing that I always noticed was the nonprofits, no matter how big their marketing departments were, were never necessarily good at marketing themselves to people who didn't already know who they were. And that the issues they were working on, the people they were trying to help, the thing they were trying to change, the thing that was important, the thing that would bring new people into their, their sphere were the why questions. Like, why do you care? Why should I care? And as a longtime podcast fan, I thought podcasts are a very unique way of letting people hear the answers to those why questions. And because personally, when I hear someone passionately talk about something they care about, I end up caring about it too. And so the idea for Podcasts for Good sort of came out of that, where podcasts are not actually a very expensive thing to produce. It's cheaper than a video. It's cheaper than a, a mailing to thousands of people, right? And done well, it is a great marketing tool, advocacy tool, right, to help people understand why an organization exists, why they should help, and to find out ways they can help. So Mickey, we, we had a conversation 90 minutes ago and, and it was very enlightening and, there, and I was really excited about you being a part of this conversation because you're very much a realist on this. And so share your thoughts on if you would encourage a nonprofit to get into this. Sure. Uh, and thanks, you know, thanks for inviting me in at the last minute. I know it's difficult to, to turn on a dime. I appreciate you were able to do that and, and make the invitation. I, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So the, the realistic ball that I, I'm dropping on this conversation is, is something that's going to sound a lot like don't do a podcast. And I don't disagree with any of my co-hosts here. I think that they each have perfectly valid reasons and descriptive mechanisms for why you should actually do a podcast. I'm not trying to, to, to say that any of that's bad. The thing I am trying to say is that you should probably not do a podcast unless, as an organization unless you can have enough storytelling content to share with regular reliability, consistency, and indefinitely. It's, it's one thing to realize that you have a story to tell, if, if, but if what your organization needs is 12 episodes of something that just sits on your website so that people can consume them, that's, that's what you should get. But while the cost to entry to producing a podcast is low, the ongoing cost is not low because now you're talking a personnel cost who has to sit on top of that podcast and not just do the editing, but also do the stewardship, also do the curation of the content. And on average, I think you're talking about a, a full-time program expense for a podcast that gets released weekly. And by my own conservative estimates, if that's a 30-minute weekly podcast, now you've added something on the order of four or five extra hours a week of work to one person's already existing workload just for the podcast. And, uh, and that is why I say, if you, if you have content to share that can be done regularly, you should, you should do that. And the, the other side of this issue, I'm not going to call it a coin because we have several facets here. The other side of that issue is the podcast should not be a standalone asset in development. It should be part of an integrated ongoing uh, marketing or communications plan. You should know something about your audience going in. I think, you know, it used to be that we used to say to people that if you want to write a book, you should write it. And that's still true. 
but I think gone are the days when you can simply publish a podcast or a book and it'll automatically attract an audience. So you, you have to know how you're going to turn people towards your podcast, whether you're using it for those very valuable morning announcements or whether you're using it as a, as a marketing tool for a cause. So that, that's wonderful. Thank you, Mickey. That, that's, well, that conversation is the second conversation I have with organizations when they come to me and they're like, we want to start a podcast. I'm like, that's great. What's episode five going to be about? Right. What's episode 10 going to be about? You shouldn't start until you have the answers to those questions. Exactly. I read a statistic the other day that as many as 12% of all podcasts ever produced don't ever get past their first episode. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, Apple Podcasts, which now went over the uh, I think 1 million podcast mark, 70% of those are dead. They've released one to five episodes and then are never heard from again. And so you don't want to be that. Yeah. All right, so our next question is from Comfort Kaidel. Hi, Comfort. She asks, what are some pitfalls that can be avoided? Because mm. I have fallen into every pitfall there is. I always have a backup of the audio. Mm -hmm. So Mickey, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I, I think you're right. I think there's a number of things we could talk about here. One is in the actual production effort. And I actually know podcasters who run two recorders simultaneously in case one of them fails. I do not. I live on the edge. I do one. But, you know, from a, another long-term production effort, I, and we were talking about having content that's sustainable and long living, I often tell podcasters not to publish their first episode until they have 10 or more episodes in the can. And that way you can prove for yourself a lot of different things, proof of concept, get your production rolls down, get the cycle established before you even pull the trigger on episode number one. Well, I mean, one pitfall I always tell people is, you know, now that, now that they become a thing, doing a teaser episode that's mm -hmm. not your first episode because all of the major directories, Apple, Google, Spotify, they all take a different amount of time to approve your podcast, Apple taking the longest. So like just because you have the episode ready to go does not mean it's going to be live to a majority of people. So get that going first before you start regularly releasing them because otherwise, you know, people aren't going to be able to find it because most podcasting apps use Apple's podcast directory to yep. keep track of it. Comfort actually had a question about the secret to sustaining it. And I think the secret is that you convince the powers that be your bosses that, that it is worthwhile doing. And one of my greatest weapons that I use is that if not that anybody's questioned me, but if I need to, I say, well, you know, we're averaging about 200 listens per episode. If, if you sent me out in the community to do a public event and 200 people showed up, you would be doing backflips. So if I can do that three, four times a week, there you go. You got a thousand people. So, yeah. Like in fun, uh, Daniel, in fundraising, there's the term of touches, right? How many, how many touches yeah, you have to yeah. do to get a donor, right? Podcasts are a touch. That sounds weird to say, but it's true. Sure. And it's building relationships. We're a statewide agency and I am having guests on to have really awesome conversations with, but they're also, they bring their own bases of support, their own fans. So we're building our base by inviting all these new people to be a part of the conversation. So I think that's a big selling point. Our next question is, is 30 minutes the recommended length of time for a podcast? And that is from Natasha Franklin. It's actually uh, 27 minutes, or at least it used to be. 27 minutes was the length of the average American commute before pandemic, and which takes us onto a slightly different tangent here. Now that people aren't commuting, it, for a while at least, podcast traffic has actually decreased as well because folks are no longer in their cars listening to their podcasts. But that being said, 27 minutes was the original target, and I, and I think that's where it has stayed. 
I feel like I saw maybe Podbean. One of the big podcast hosts released a thing, and they said the median podcast episode length was 40 minutes. Really? I, wow. Yes, which here's the thing. The thing about podcasts that people fully need to understand is that they do not need to be listened to all at one time in their, in their entirety. There are, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of longer podcasts, so one that's an hour long. It might take me three days to get through, but I'm going to listen in 20-minute segments or however long it takes me to mow the lawn. Right. Or back in Boston, however long it took to get from my apartment to to work downtown to be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. So, right, right. Matthew, I want to also say and part of what makes a podcast or an interview segment or a storytelling. Part of what makes that special is that it's authentic. This is not your audition tape to get onto NPR. You know, you're there for your organization. You're there for your mission. And the more real, the more raw, because these are, these are designed to, you know, we, we talk in nonprofits a lot about how people have to use their head, their heart, and their hands. You need data, and you need economics, and you need all of that to get in their head. But you've got to dig into their heart. And the only way you're going to do that is through authenticity. So this is not about your organization trying to be something that it's not don't try to be hip if you're not you know just be authentic and i think people will realize how important that authenticity is and they're going to they're going to listen more they're going to be more engaged and they're going to look forward to hearing more from yeah i was going to say that sort of builds out a point i wanted to make earlier which is if it's if it's an interview type podcast learning basic interview skills is incredibly important because you as the host are in control of the conversation. So if someone is going on a little bit long, you have to learn how to be forthright so that you stay on topic and so that it stays interesting. And then you have to edit in a way where everything sounds still intimate and personal and authentic without the normal filler that people use when they're being interviewed or talking about something. Yeah. Okay, and so our next question is from Sophie, and I'm gonna direct this one to Mickey actually. Sophie just started a new podcast and she's planning to post a new episode per month. She says, we think it's appropriate for our purposes, but how can we make sure to market each upload successfully? Sophie, you've uh, asked me a question that I absolutely have no idea how to answer. (laughs) And that's something of an exaggeration on, on my part, but the marketing of a podcast has everything to do with, I think, how you would market any other asset that the nonprofit is producing. And for the works that I do, that is almost strictly a social media effort, sharing it on LinkedIn, sharing it on Facebook, sharing it on Instagram. And at first starting with word of mouth amongst my immediate stakeholders to help get them to spread the word as well. I mean, listen, I was gonna say word of mouth. Every podcast I've ever listened to is because someone I knew told me to listen to it or that person was on a podcast I already listened to, so. And so our next question kind of feeds into that. It's from Christina. She says, where can I find some good strategies to promote new episodes and gain listeners using social media? So for instance, HubSpot, these sort of places that kind of are the universities for, for nonprofits, you know, what, what resources would you all direct them to? This is going to sound bad, but I'm a huge fan of YouTube University. And there's, there's plenty of people on YouTube that are doing marketing 101 tips that I think are useful for podcast producers. Yeah. Daniel? Well, you know, just being a marketer, remember that marketing is price, place, uh, product, and promotion. 
you have a product and you need to be thinking about, you know, where you're going to place this product. You're going to need to think, you know, it's not about price, but for instance, if you're at a nonprofit, do you have an underwriter to help with that work? So maybe approaching a foundation or a corporation where you can have a sponsorship, uh, that, that's important because what that gives you is a lot more, when you get to that promotion part, you're going to have a lot more firepower in the promotion, especially if you have some type of sponsor of that. I, I will tell you what I've seen successful, especially with Matt and, and the work you guys are doing. Things are cross-promoted naturally. And social media, I think, is a great way to get things promoted. But, but I'm just going to say, for all of us out there that are in nonprofits, we've got to build our networks. And, and I will tell, tell you very quickly that I used to not friend people on Facebook that I worked with. It, it was just absolutely a, a thing I didn't do. And I had an aha moment last year that said, you can't live like this and call yourself a public relations professional. So I have a much bigger network now, and I network any nonprofit employee out there that I talk to, any board member, any funder, I'm gonna, I'm gonna network on Facebook, I'm gonna network on LinkedIn, et cetera, because our network of the do-gooders, as I like to call it, is how we're going to build the audience for some of this work. Now, part of it is, Yes, we're preaching to the choir at that point. But the fact is, building that core audience as a start is going to be your entry into marketing because they're going to take that, move that out to their networks, then they're going to move that out to their networks. And I tell people all the time who are saying, I wish we could raise more money online. You're never going to raise more money online if you just say, here's the link to go donate. That doesn't work. People give to people. And so using your social networks are going to be critical to have success around this, especially if you want to see attitudes, behaviors change because of, because of any of this type of marketing and, and podcast work. Yeah, but I, I would also add that places to get tips and resources to learn how to do things. I think Podbean actually has a forum that does a little bit of this education and believe it or not, Reddit of all places oh, yeah. has, has a couple of development forums where that have been sort of invaluable for picking up tips and tricks on, on, on not only how to produce it, but, but to some degree also how to market it as well. Nice. Okay. And now speaking of that, of resources, I actually met Mickey through a Facebook group called Nonprofit Podcast Creators. Jesse and I joined yesterday, but I, I actually I actually reached out to Julia Campbell, who uh, runs that page. She is, as her page describes, your friendly neighborhood nonprofit digital marketing and online fundraising strategist. So she says that most nonprofits come to her and they say, where do I start? And we've kind of talked about that, but do I need a lot of equipment and technical know-how? Yes and no, right? As, as we talked about earlier, you can make a podcast very cheap using things you might already have. It also doesn't cost that much to get one or two good microphones and a, you know, either, you know, a XLR to computer mixer or just a recorder because a real microphone is going to sound better than a computer or laptop microphone is. You know, when I started my very first pod podcast for work, not my one for, for fun, I was able with $400 to get four microphones and a, you know, a Zoom portable recorder, right? That allowed me to go wherever I needed to go to record those podcasts. 
there's plenty of free software out there as far as editing is concerned. So it doesn't have to cost a lot, but it does cost something. And I'm worried if anyone's watching this who doesn't never made a podcast before, where we're sort of leaving out an incredibly important part, which is the editing, which is the thing I've spent the most time learning how to do. I'm like, I'm a self-taught podcast editor. And that's where having someone dedicated to it or, you know, even spending the small amount of money to get someone else to do it is important because, you know, and Mickey might be able to help me with this, but what I tell people is on average, the length of episode you want is going to take three to four times that amount of time to edit. So that's correct. You know, which is why I need to make pod for a good episode shorter because they're around 50 minutes now and it takes me forever to edit. So I uh, need to get those, need to get those shorter just for my own mental, men, mental health. But like that, that's a component when, when it comes to editing, that's when most of the time, if you're a nonprofit, you're going to need to get advice from someone on the outside because most nonprofits don't accidentally hire a podcast editor. I, I would say it's worth it's worth the $120 maybe to start off with to buy a, a program uh, called Descript, which allows mm. you to edit the podcast via transcript. It's not the best editing tool, but it is great if you're trying to remove ums and yeahs and you knows, or at least to see how many there are so you can then take those out. It does cost some money, but it's it can save you a lot of time if done done well. Daniel, do you have some thoughts? Well, I, you know, mine are before you spend a dime and, and by the way, it is, you know, it is cost effective to get into this, this work where uh, our organization is just getting into it. We're going to start using our business for breakfast really is more of a podcast. I, I do want to say though, before you spend a dime, have a plan, ask yourself, why are we doing this? Ask yourself, what's our goal? Define your audience and define your message. And most importantly, do some research because uh, as Jesse said, some people just aren't good interviewers. And if somebody says, if you're personally not a good interviewer, you're either going to have to learn or go find somebody to do it. Right. right. And, um, and, and you got to do the research and listen and understand other who's doing well and what, what isn't working. So I started the podcasting thing back in 2008, once upon a time before podcasting ever really hit its current renaissance. And, and I spent about $2,000 on gear, a couple of um, really nice condenser microphones that I could put in the middle of a table and pick up an entire conference room at a time. If I had to do that again, I wouldn't. I think getting a, a, a digital recorder on the table was the right thing to do. But, but if it's just you and one other person, don't spend the money on expensive microphones that pick up the entire room. You will regret it. You know, pick up a, a slightly less expensive, what's called a dynamic mic, which picks up typically one voice alone and it leaves all the background noises out. And there's, there's technical considerations like that that I think people fail to make when going out to buy a, a Yeti snowball versus something else. And if people want to contact me, I'm happy to, to advise them on their personal situations and, and point them in the right direction. Mickey did mention the sort of the gold standard for getting started is the Blue Yeti mic. It's about a hundred bucks on Amazon. It's a good mic. All right. So let's see here. So Natasha says, would podcast be a useful recruiting tool for a volunteer slash national service based program? Daniel, what do you think? Absolutely. And when you, as you're thinking about that, you know, recruitment, whatever you're recruiting for, whether it's volunteers, board members, staff members, donors, whatever it is, because you're, you're recruiting them to do something for you. It, again, this is, this is create an action. I think, I think it would be a great tool. 
uh, especially if you're interviewing current volunteers or board members, et cetera. You know, one of the things I'm going to say, and, you know, all of us have to con continuously be thinking about making sure that we are equitable and that we are interviewing people of diversity in, in all of our work. You know, if you're, if you are interviewing the same white guy or the same white lady every week, you're, you're saying that we have a very narrow view of what we're going to do. So make sure, because if we're trying to recruit, we're trying to recruit for diversity. So be sure, because you're, you're staring at a lot of light, lighter skinned faces up here. But the fact is, we, this, this is all about equity and, and most importantly, not just inclusion, but full belonging. And so I just want to say it's a great recruitment tool. Just use it uh, in a way to recruit for diversity. Cool. All right. And Chelsea uh, wants to know, do you use sponsorship platforms like Patreon? What are the pros and cons for hosting uh, those platforms? And I think that kind of leads into, is there any money in podcasting for nonprofits? I would say no. <laughs> so, but I want Mickey, I want Mickey to answer this. Yeah, you know, I've, I've not really explored the sponsorship angle yet, just because I've been spending a lot of, I wanted to spend at least a year funding the entire production effort on my own before I went to go approach sponsors. There, there are groups out there that do this sort of thing. There are ad groups that will sell you, you know, ads for their clients and so on and so forth. There, there are ways to do it, but, but I haven't personally pulled the trigger on any of those conversations just because I wanted to see where I could get in a year. So coincidentally, by the end of the summer, I'll be doing those those exact same things. And I just opened up a Patreon page just to make that available for anybody who wanted to, you know, buy me the occasional cup of coffee or something like that. Nice. Jesse? Well, as I said, there's also another service called Buy Me a Cup of Coffee, which I've also signed up for. I answered this question to Matt over email earlier today, which is that nonprofits shouldn't look to podcasts as revenue streams. They should look at it as another marketing tool. It should be included in their budget. Like this is another tool you use to reach people, to raise awareness, to find new donors, to find new volunteers, and to tell your story. Um, you're not going to get Joe Rogan money for, from a nonprofit podcast. You're not, okay? <laughs> and you, shouldn't you shouldn't think so. You should go into it knowing that. Matt, really quickly though, I do think you should be, and again, this gets into nonprofits who do the work versus change the world. If you're a nonprofit that's doing something to change the world, I do think you need to get sponsorship either through a corporation or foundation to put their name to it. And that's not necessarily a revenue stream, but the reason why is you are, again, we're trying to change behaviors and change policies. And there is nothing more satisfying to a donor than a change-making organization. So don't discount. I, I agree that you're probably, you're not going to be able to sell ads, which by the way, don't call them ads because you'll pay unrelated business income tax on it. But I do think that there is the possibility for some underwriting from organizations. So, so don't overlook it. Right. Okay. And then Mark, he's the director of OKC Good, which is inspiring action through storytelling and produces videos about good things happening in OKC. I asked him for uh, a question and he said, you know, I know this sounds generic, but you know, how do I decide if I can or should hire a podcaster, audio engineer, or try to do it in-house? I'm going to ask Mickey this question. I, I think for me, the answer goes back to exactly the sheer volume of material that you want to produce and over what amount of time you want to produce it. And if you know that your podcast needs a very limited number of, of assets 
or if it's something that's going to last maybe a season, I would say farm that out. But if it's something that you need to have, if it if it's a if it's a presence, if it's a production that requires an in-house presence consistently to be able to tell a story that is cur- curated and, and maintained from the inside over the course of a year or more as a program expense, then that's that's why you would uh, hire somebody in- internally to do that, or at least one of your employees. And Jesse, I mean, kind of the same thing. Like it's. It really, it depends on how much your organization can handle. And if it's like most nonprofits I've ever worked with, your people are probably already busy enough. So farming it out, especially at first, might be the best way to start. And then let a staff member learn how some of it is done so they can take it on when they need to. So it's really all about what you want to be and how much time it's going to take. Okay. So we have three minutes left. I want to give each of you, say, a minute to give us your parting thoughts about podcasting for nonprofits. And we'll start with Mickey. So I think that if you have a story to tell, you should definitely tell it. Don't let any of my realism taint your ideas towards bringing your stuff to the table and getting the story told. You, you know, like any other effort, you have to write the book before anyone can read it. So please do write it. Yeah. Daniel? I, I'm just going to say, really decide what change you want to see in the world and, and use it in a way to do that. Remember that the media does amazing things many times when we're trying to change people's attitudes, whether it's, you know, there's a reason why people don't quote unquote smoke on TV anymore. There's a reason why, you know, you look at marriage equality. The fact is shows like Will and Grace or or Queer Eye were instrumental in sort of changing people's minds. You You have an incredible opportunity ahead of you to really be a change maker. Jesse. I would say if anything over the last couple of weeks has re- reminded us the the idea of empathy and the idea of hearing someone else's experience no matter what your own life experience has been is truly one of the most effective ways of making change in the world. So even if you yourself working for a nonprofit it's like well I don't know what it's like to be this or to be in this situation that curiosity is step one into telling the story and asking the right questions to someone who has experienced that, right? If you learn it from them, your listeners will also learn it from them. So it's okay to be whatever you are, even if it's not the thing you're working on, but learning how to help someone tell their story is step one into having your audience, your donors, new volunteers understand why it is your organization does what it does. Okay, Mickey, Daniel, Jesse, thank you so much for being here. And as we do, as we close out every mental health download podcast, we always say, be a part and go do good things. <laughs>